Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is full of gray areas, uncertainty, and quite often fear. Higher Potential with Indeed is here to demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations, groundbreaking ones too. I'm your host, Erin Waddell, Strategic Insights Consultant and DNI Evangelist in Australia for Indeed. I've worked in the recruitment industry in Australia for the last seven years and have been in Australia for 10 years. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com, the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing why we should prioritize inclusivity of neurodiverse people in our organizations. With one in eight people in Australia living with dyslexia, autism, ADHD, Tourette syndrome, or learning disabilities, neurodiverse candidates make up a significant portion of the nation's talent pool. However, data by the Australian Bureau of Statistics show that in 2018, the unemployment rate for adults in Australia on the autism spectrum was more than three times the rate of people with a different disability and almost eight times the rate of people without a disability. And this doesn't even take into consideration the unemployment status of adults with other neurodiverse conditions. With such a large percentage of neurodiverse adults being left out of the workforce, it's clear organizations can do more to understand and accommodate the needs of neurodiverse candidates and employees in order to create a truly diverse and inclusive workplace. In this episode, we are joined by Jamin Rowe, who is the Vice President of Marketing at With You, With Me, to discuss what organizations should do to start prioritizing neurodiverse candidates and employees today. Welcome, Jay. Hi, Erin. It's great to be here. I'm just giggling a little because for those listeners out there who are just tuning in for the first time, Jay was the original host of this podcast and is my former manager. (laughs) Jay, you are working for a fantastic company called With You With Me Now. Could you share with us a little bit about what you're doing there? Of course. And it's great to be back. Hello again. Um, So I am the vice president of marketing at With You With Me, and we are a company that focuses on helping uh, underemployed and underrepresented individuals find employment, basically. We do that in a number of ways. One is we enable employees to find new careers in technology. We do that through uh, testing their aptitude through psychometric and personality tests. So they do that and we help them to identify the technology careers that they're best suited to or have the best aptitude for. We then offer them free uh, courses and training in those new technology careers and they can develop those new skills so that they're job ready in a matter of hours. So in 
you know, it could be just 100 hours rather than years that it could take uh, through other more traditional pathways. We then have the ability to place them in teams within organisations, quite large corporations, and give them that real on-the-job experience. We also have the ability, we create software and we enable corporations to tap into those underrepresented, underemployed talent pools as well to enable them to bring that talent into their organisation themselves. So when we look at those underemployed talent pools, we we actually started off uh, helping veterans uh, as our primary uh, audience, and then we expanded out to military spouses, and then we expanded out to neurodivergent individuals, and then we we further expanded to Indigenous, and it just keeps going and going and going. That's fantastic. How does With You With Me define neurodiversity? Because I know that that is one of the major focus areas or focus groups that you are passionate about getting into employment. Well, what we've seen more recently is there's been, I guess, a bit of a change in terminology or an evolution in terminology. And we used to think of neurodiversity as being everyone who wasn't, I guess, the the neurotypical. But now neurodiversity is a term that's used for everyone because we are all neurodiverse, even those who are neurotypical. So when we talk about those who a non-neurotypical, we use the term neurodivergent now. And those are the the individuals that we're really trying to help gain access to employment. And when we're thinking about neurodivergent individuals, we're, we're really speaking of those who fall uh, on the autistic spectrum, uh, so who have autism, ADHD, dyslexia. There's a whole range of of neurodivergencies that fall within that classification. One thing that we worked on a lot together was making sure employers were aware that it doesn't start once you hire the candidate. It can actually start far before that in the job seeking phase, especially for both recruiters and job seekers. I think that you have a lot of experience with this myself as well, but I'd love to hear if you could talk a little bit about how traditional recruitment processes may not be a good way to accommodate neurodivergent candidates. And in your opinion, what changes organizations should make to their recruitment process to help neurodivergent candidates succeed? There are so many. Uh, I think I want to make a disclaimer here as well is that I personally am autistic and I've only more recently, I think you and I spoke at a conference in May, which wasn't that long ago. And that's really when I started to to say it out loud. And, and that's when I said I'd never previously got a job on my own before. I'd had to rely on other people um, until more recently that was because it was that application process that I always really wasn't able to to nail uh, myself. Being able to articulate what I was good at because I find it difficult to highlight what I'm good at. I think what I do is so very everyday and standard because it's part of the job. 
So sometimes it's hard to really identify what you excel at. And going through the recruitment process, you're supposed to evangelize yourself or really call out and and kind of praise what you do. And we need to realize that sometimes that needs a bit of coaxing out of people. Uh, We can't expect people to do that off their own back. Eye contact can be an issue as well. We can't expect everyone to maintain perfect eye contact and we can't make a judgment that if someone doesn't give you that perfect eye contact that there's something wrong or that they're not being truthful or honest. Sometimes presentation as well, personal presentation, the way that we dress or appear, we just can't make all these judgment calls because there may be circumstances that we don't understand. There are just so many considerations that we need to have through the recruitment process. I like what you said about there being a lot of considerations for neurodivergent candidates and employees, because what I'm seeing a lot of is that there's training out there available Uh, a lot of training out there available for managers of neurodivergent employees. But there does not seem to be a lot of training for employees of neurodivergent managers. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. As we all become more and more familiar with or more conscious of diversity and inclusion within business, I feel like we're becoming a bit swamped with all this training. I feel like it's starting to verge on a checkbox exercise, not diversity and inclusion as such. I I feel like we're making a bit of an improvement in that space, but the training is becoming a checkbox exercise now. And I have to say that when I joined my current organization with you, with me, I've never experienced anything like it before. And it was kind of disarming in a way because I've never felt so welcomed. And I do think it's probably because of a couple of reasons. One is every, I mean, everyone is very open, but also we have a very diverse employee population as well. We're we're an organization that truly reflects the customer base that we uh, we serve. Um, I think we're close to 30% of our employee base is neurodivergent and around 60% of our employee base is uh, are veterans or military spouses. So, you know, we, we actually practice what we preach in a way. And I think because we are very diverse, we are very open, and it's kind of we're very free to be who and what we are. And because of that, there's no, I mean, there's training, but the formalized training has been forced on us so it doesn't feel like it's a checkbox exercise. And instead, it's very much an open forum for discussion. And we're having these very open chats at any time of the day when we're in the office. So with my team, from the very first week, I had a team member come to me and say, it was my first one-on-one with this team member. And he said, I wanted to talk to you because on Tuesday, I was having a day where I felt really down. And 
I didn't really know how to respond to that because it was Thursday of my first week and he was being so honest with me and I ended up responding and being very honest as well. And I think that showed me that we can be very transparent. We don't need this formalized training and that's the way that we should be. So now we have very open discussions. I can talk to my team that I will be very direct, but I never intend to be offensive. I'm not that type of person. It's my neurodivergency that sometimes I'm not aware um, of the tone of my voice. Um, sometimes I don't maintain eye contact because it's very uncomfortable for me. I have someone with dyslexia in my team and we spend time together so I can understand what that means and what his strengths are. I have someone with ADHD in my team and we spend time together so I can understand what his strengths are. And I've changed his role so that we can harness his strengths and focus on how we can get the best out of him um, rather than put pressure on him and make him stressed. And fit him into some mold that's been designed <laughs> arbitrarily. Yeah. And I mean, I want everyone to be as productive and as happy as they can be. And I want us to be harmonious. And by doing that, we're going to be extremely productive. And they as well, in turn, want me to be productive and happy. And I see that when I'm with the team. I'm happy that you have a team that has a manager like you, where you are open to those conversations, because I think a lot of people have been in situations where they have wanted to say something and not felt like they could. I think that's definitely something that happens in a lot of workplaces. One thing you talked about was the strengths of your of your employees. And I think that that is a huge benefit to be able to take advantage of those. There's a lot of companies out there that are not currently embracing neurodiversity in their hiring practice, in their workplace, and they're missing out on a huge talent pool and a huge wealth of skill and knowledge. Can you talk a bit about the benefits of employing neurodivergent adults? Yeah. And I think this is one of the very frustrating things is that, and, and this isn't just with neurodivergent individuals. This is with every, ev everyone who falls within a diverse or underrepresented group. Um, but I'll speak about neurodivergency because that's why I'm here. Um, we tend to be stereotyped. We tend to be thought of as data scientists or mathematicians or actuaries, whereas I work in marketing I know other autistic people who are artists or musicians or opera singers who are very creative. I work in marketing because, I mean, one of my strengths is I'm a systematic thinker. And in marketing, you have so many different systems or campaigns, let's say, uh, working simultaneously all at once. And if one small component in one of those campaigns uh, is 
let's say, changed, it affects all of those other campaigns that are running at the same time. And my skill is that I can see the bigger picture, that full system, and I am two steps ahead and I can see how it's affected across that entire system rather than waiting for it to crash, basically. Um, The other thing is I'm not not creative. I, I do struggle with imagination. However, I have a very strong memory and I collect memories. So I collect memories of creative campaigns and executions going back decades and decades, um, going back to lovable mascots like the Gobbledock. And I take the best bits of different creative campaigns and advertisements and executions and I piece those all together to come up with magical new creative campaigns. And that to me is creativity. Absolutely. And I also think that, you know, you were, for many years, you were happy to get up on stage and talk to hundreds of people. And I feel like that is something that if someone was to say, I'm on the autism spectrum or I'm a neurodivergent person, that's the last thing someone would expect them to be comfortable doing. And I think that there's so much of that stigma that gets put onto, it's not just neurodivergent people, it gets put onto anyone, like you said, from an underrepresented group. But it's funny when someone like yourself, someone like myself, when when we break that stigma, we still get the surprise, oh, oh, like people can't help but be shocked and surprised that we're not fitting their mold of what they expect us to be. Exactly. And, you know, we just finished um, one of the things that I think is fantastic is we have this software that people come and do their aptitude and psychometric testing. And we can start to build up these amazing insights into the strengths and capabilities of neurodivergent individuals. So we're starting to see that people with different neurodivergencies have all these strengths that no one else has been able to see before. And we're starting to wash that against some of Silicon Valley's, you know, brightest minds. So we're we're going to release a report very, very soon, which is going to be absolutely incredible and show that you know, people with autism are surprisingly having strengths that no one thought they had. Uh, people with ADHD are surprisingly having a strength that no one thought they would have. And we're going to break those misconceptions. And it's it's surprising, but it's also frustrating that we have to do this. There shouldn't be those stereotypes and misconceptions in the first place. Um, but I'm excited about it anyway, because at least we can show this finally. And I think that there's a lot of organizations that will benefit from having the concrete evidence where if they do want to start to create a neurodivergent friendly workplace, or they wanted to make sure that when we talk about a lot of the grassroots, uh, efforts when it comes to ensuring that there is inclusion in companies. And I feel like if there's a report out there like that, that's going to help 
give motivation to the people that are trying to make that change by saying, look, we really want to include this in our recruitment process. Here is the proof that these neurodivergent candidates could really bring something great to our company. And this is why we should potentially make sure that we are accommodating for them. But you know what needs to change is, and this is what gets me, we have been talking about recruitment for, well, I've been talking about recruitment for over 20 years now and how things need to change and nothing has changed. We've continued to do the same stuff over and over and over again. We're relying on the same tools, the same practices. We're relying on this you know, the the same resume. It's the same tool that no one really pays attention to. It misrepresents people. It is full of prejudice. And if you're trying to hire a diverse talent pool and to give everyone the equity that they need to bring them into your organization, then that is one of the things that really needs to go. Like, seriously. We need to be looking at the the ability and potential of these individuals to bring real value into an organization and stop relying on an antiquated tool that is actually meaningless. Literally, the discrimination can start at the resume with just the person's name. Just having a name on a resume can knock someone out of an application, depending on what their name is. We've seen that, especially in Australia. (laughs) And it it tells you nothing. Mm -mm. I mean, introduce screening questions, Mm -hmm. testing, show us what the candidate can actually do. And that's how you know if they can add value to your business. Yep. It's such a great point you make about the fact that we're always saying it needs to change. What is it going to take to get this change to happen? Well, I think companies like like with you, with me, are really trying to drive that change. Where We are giving direct access to organizations in Australia, Canada, the UK, the US. We're giving a direct pathway to these diverse talent pools, to corporations. But we need, we need employers to actually look at their recruitment practices and stop talking about, you know, taking action and actually take that action. They need to actually do something. So for companies that have neurodivergent employees or are looking to make their workplace more neurodivergent friendly, what are some resources or support systems that they can provide to their neurodivergent employees? That That's a tricky one because I, I don't feel comfortable speaking on behalf of all neurodivergent people because everyone's presentation is unique to the, the themselves. I I can take a stab at it based on my myself, I guess. Um, lighting can be something to consider. So lighting can be something that um, 
can affect individuals if it's too bright or or too dark. Uh, noise is another thing. I was in the office this week and someone uh, made a comment because I always sit at the same desk and I can only sit at a desk which is by a wall and I can't have my back to an open space. So I need to feel very secure. So considerations like that, and my colleague was very supportive of that. They just wanted to know and be aware so that that space would always be available to me. And that's another thing. There seems to be a movement uh, over the last few years, and particularly with returning to workplaces with, um, you know, vaccination rates increasing and uh, with, with COVID, where we'll be going back to flexible working and, you know, shared workspaces and no fixed workstations, that can be quite uncomfortable. I I know that I need to have a fixed work desk to know where I'm going every day to have my things at my desk because change can be very upsetting I need to have my things where they need to be. Uh, And that some people might not understand that. They might think, well, that's just because you want to have your own desk. But it's actually because autistic people can be very routine-based. You do need to have things in a certain place And that's the way that your mind works. They need to be in a certain place at a certain time, very dependable so that you know where things are. When they're not where you expect them to be, then it can cause a great deal of anxiety. And autism is kind of underpinned by anxiety and unknowns. We don't like unknowns because that sparks off the anxiety and that can be very uncontrollable. So not having that fixed workspace can be very disturbing to an autistic person. And so that, that I feel, is going to be a very big issue with companies going back to an office environment and something that we really, really need to be considerate of. I think even just making it known that you're open to accommodations as a company is a good place to start. And to say, if you need something, just come talk to us, or we can accommodate if you need something to better perform your role, have a chat with us and we'll see what we can do. Even just that level of offering accommodation, I think can be a really great place to start. And that way, at least employees feel like they can start the conversation, have a conversation. It could be, I'm sorry, we're unable to accommodate that, but at least it's going to open that channel of communication from the get-go instead of not saying anything and then having someone trying to do their job while facing while facing anxiety from from unknown forces. We've also had this whole shift in terms of work-life. I don't like the word balance anymore. It's integration where everything has kind of just melded together um, over the last couple of years and we've done everything from home, you know, work from home. We've had, um, you know, done everything from the comfort of our couch or our home office and that includes 
doctor's appointments and therapy sessions. And I know that for me, for example, my I have therapy once a fortnight for support for my autism, which is incredibly valuable. And knowing that I I have that during a business day once every two weeks, knowing with return to the office, my employer is going to have a very flexible uh, working arrangement where it's, you know, we can work from home or the office. Offering your employees to work from home uh, or the office is enabling them to also be able to have those appointments um, as well to maintain those, which are extremely important. Uh, and we need to continue to support that for their own health and well-being. Um, we we need to be mindful of that. Um, if we enforce going back to the office after two years of of not. Um, or close to two years, then that's going to put a real strain on all these other supports that they've built up over that time. So that's something to consider. This has been fantastic. And I've really loved chatting to you about this today. But the final question, which is how we finish every episode of Higher Potential with Indeed, is what do you think it will ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? I think it is going to be about actually making change and not just talking about it. We've been talking about it for, as I said, more than, I mean, I've been in this industry for 22 years this year and all we've done is talked about it. We need to actually make the change now and that includes giving up on everything that we've continued to rely on for decades, the most basic of things, the resume, the bits of paper. We've given up paper in every other aspect of our lives. It's time to give it up in recruitment as well. But to be more open, transparent and accepting of everyone and realize the potential that people have rather than what's written on a piece of paper. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jay. I'm so glad I'm able to carry the torch forward from when you departed, but it's been fantastic to talk to you. And I'm really proud of of where you've gone with your career and how you're going to make such a big change for a lot of people in the neurodivergent community. Thank you so much. I've loved coming back. Thanks, Erin. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description to fill out the form. Just a quick note, the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guest do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed. Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.